The virtues of song, virtues of song. There are many different narrations and things that indicate to us the importance of fasting. The Prophet that the fasting person has two times of joy. First joy that they have is when they break their fast. The second joy that they have is when they meet their Lord. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ, that someone who fasts one day for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah puts the distance of 70, uh, 70 seasons between them and the hellfire. Right? Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, he said, In paradise, there is a gate, a gate, an entryway into paradise that is called Abrayyan. Abrayyan. The people who fasted, they will enter through this door, and nobody else will enter through this door. It will be said, where are those who fasted? And they will enter, and after they enter, that door will be closed, and nobody else will enter from it. What does Abrayyan mean? Anyone? Any Arabic speakers? Does Abrayyan given water? Given water from like Ray, right? Or Ali, to, to quench thirst or to be given. Yarwi. Yeah. We also have a similar group, but it's the it's the door that satisfies all thirst. Let's answer this door. All of all everything that you spent while fasting, all the struggles you went through, are gone now. For me, again, this this has special meaning because of Sheikh Ahmed Tana, Allahyarham. He was really a great man. Um, you know, people uh, as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam one time he was asked, Ya Rasulullah, Man humul awliya? Who are the beloved friends of Allah? And he said, There are people who when they are seen, Allah is remembered. You see the person, you remember Allah. Shaykh Ayyam was like this. He was really... So when I think about like students of knowledge, people who are on that journey of students of knowledge and so on, I feel like for, for people who witnessed him and studied with him and so on, he's like the door through which they enter. And they enter through that door and all of their needs are fulfilled. Their thirst is quenched, they're not, you know, their hunger is satiated. Allah have mercy on him. That's what I think. So you enter through this door. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, <laughs> Um, the, the, 
the scent of the mouth of the fasting person is more pure than the scent of misk or musk in English, right? Musk, scent of musk. Here we have to stop for a second. First of all, that doesn't mean that you have to be the person who refuses to clean their mouth because the fasting person's breath is more beloved to Allah than anything else and so on and so on. Books of fiqh don't say this, by the way. Books of fiqh also say that when you use siwak, miswak, you shouldn't do it in front of people. And if any, go use it, clean it, wash it off, clean your mouth, move on with your life. The Hanafi school, it always says very clearly, if you're going to use miswak, you use miswak at the time you make wudu. You know, the little tooth stick. You don't like walk around with it in your mouth all the time and stuff like that. Uh, anyways. So you don't have to be that person with bad breath because like, oh, the hadith says this. Very important. You have to understand. There are physical realities and there are spiritual realities. They're intertwined. Human being has a physical reality. It's came up like ten times already, right? Human being has a physical reality. Human being has a spiritual reality. There's a physical reality to the person's breath. There's a spiritual reality to the person's breath. Okay? Doesn't mean you have to like, if I brush my teeth, now I lost this thing that like is mentioned in the hadith. And that's not what this means at all. Okay? I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's people who took this position, but I've never seen it in any of the books of knowledge. Um, so it, it's, it's not the way that we interact with these things. That, that, it's always there. When it comes to human beings, it's always there. Even the most righteous and most beautiful of people. There's people have their bashariya and people have their khususiya. They have their bashariya, they have their khususiya. Their bashariya is their human form. The human form and all of its dictates and realities. Right? Their khususiya is the special thing that Allah gave them that's connected to the soul. So they say, for example, about the Prophet In the time of the Prophet there's people who saw only Muhammad ibn Abdullah. They never got beyond his bashariya, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Even though his bashariya was the most beautiful bashariya ever, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And there's people who saw him, and they said, "Muhammadu Rasulullah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam." They saw him for who he really was, his khususiya. Uh, and this is why they say, even about like righteous people and keeping their company and stuff, they say, "Qurbu'ijab." Sometimes being close to a person is a barrier between you and them. Imagine, you have someone who's like, and I've seen this, I've seen like great sheikhs, and you see them with their family. Of course, with their family, they're not the great sheikh. They're like, it's their family member, right? They're not like, you, know, uh, you deal with the person all the time, you see some of their shortcomings, they sometimes get in the way. It doesn't mean that their spiritual state is not extremely powerful, but the physical reality of the person sometimes bars you from realizing that. Anyways, it's a side point. The point is that there's physical reality, there's spiritual reality to everything. Prophet also said, Prophet said that every action of the son of Adam or the daughter of Adam is multiplied from 10 times to 700 times. Every, every good deed they do. Every good deed they do is from 10 to 700 times multiplied. Why some of our, uh, like we have too much guilt tripping and fear, fear mongering and uh, that kind of stuff in our community. You know? One deed 10 to 700 times. <coughs> like, 
Ahsan had done shwati, I think well of Allah. Think well of Allah. 10 to 700 times. Again, I push ourselves, but we don't push ourselves out of fear. We push ourselves out of love. We want to be close to Allah. We want to love Allah. We want all of these things. Not just out of fear. If it's fear, the, the math doesn't make sense if we're talking about fear. Like the average person, unless they're doing some crazy things, the average person who lives their life and they try to do well and they have some ups and downs, 10 to 700 times for every good deed. Except fasting, Allah says, and then Allah says, except fasting, it is for me and I reward for it. They gave up their desires for food and for They gave up their desires for food for my sake. Allah says this. You ever think about it? Just a little bit. Just think about it a little bit. Again, if you go to the outward and the inward, the external, the internal, the spiritual, the physical, every deed, there's there's a truth to the fact that every single deed is actually mastur at some level. Every deed is hidden at some level. Okay? What do I mean? Stand up to pray. Everyone stands up to pray differently. One person stands up to pray and their heart is filled with love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One person stands up to pray and their heart is filled with all of their finances. Another person stands up to pray and their heart is filled with whatever it might be, right? All of us stood up to pray. All of us looked exactly the same. There's a level at which every deed that we do for Allah is mastur. It's hidden at some level because it's connected to the intention. It's connected to what's in the heart. So at some level, it's, it's, uh, it's hidden. Fasting is another level of that. Fasting is very hidden. Because a lot of people don't even know you're fasting in the first place. Especially when you live in a non-Muslim country. A lot of people don't know you're fasting in the first place. And it's not a deed that lasts for like five minutes. It's not a deed where you give sadaqah, it's done in 30 seconds. Right? It's a deed that's lasting for like 12 hours, 16 hours. So there's lots of possible variations to what's going on in the heart of that person during that deed. Right? And only Allah knows that. Only Allah knows what that person's giving up. Only Allah knows what that person's thinking about, what they're focusing on, so on and so forth. So Allah says, except this fasting is very unique, and it's, it's for me, and I reward according to it. Fasting, fasting is very special in that. There are righteous people, nobody knew they were fasting. For a long, long, long time. For example, Imam al-Marhinani, Imam al-Marhinani, Burhan al-Din, the author of Al-Hidayah and Hanafi Fiqh. It's one of the greatest books of Islam. I've studied all over the world, all different times and places. Major text. Imam Marghinani, it said about him that he fasted for 40 years. Nobody knew. How people know him? They figured it out towards the end, you know. <laughs> Is that why? Because his family, servants and family and stuff would bring him food every day. And then he'd go out to teach and take his food to his class. And he gives the food to all the students. They make it seem like he's eating, but really he's distributing the food to everyone. And then he'd go home and he'd eat his dinner. He'd fast every single day. Nobody knew he was fasting. Can you imagine, like, subhanAllah, doing that? While he's teaching, while he's being like this great scholar, so on and so forth. Like, literally, his book is one of the greatest books of Islam. I'm, I'm not exaggerating, you know. Especially in law. In, in the law, it's, it's a, an incredible work. So Allah says, fasting's for me. I reward according to it. I reward for it. They say in the commentary here, <coughs> 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 
فصار الصوم عبادة بين العبد والرب فلذلك أضافه إلى نفسه وجعل ثوابه بغير حساب لأنه لا يتعدى إلا بالصبر وقد قال تعالى إنما يوافى الصابرون أجرهم بغير حساب Okay, so it's interesting. They said, the, Allah said that fasting is for him, and he rewards according to it. Nobody else knows about it. It's between the person and Allah. It's very intimate, actually. If you think about it in this way, it's very intimate. Because in a sense, and this is, you know, forgive me for, I'm going to try to express this in a way that hopefully doesn't come off as being inappropriate in any sort of way. But in a sense, when we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're kind of like exposing ourselves to him. Just, it's just me in front of you, Allah. And and fasting is very like, it's it's very much like it's just me and you, Allah. Nobody else knows about this. Nobody else knows what's going on with this. But I can say this is why they say, for example, the um, the du'a of the heart is a very special du'a. Because the du'a that Allah writes down, and Allah answers, and the angels don't even write it down. Only the angels write down our deeds, right? person makes dua in their heart, who knows about it? Even the angels don't know about the dua that they have in their heart. But Allah knows it and answers it, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's very intimate, right? But fasting is very intimate in that way. Like I'm just, it's just me in front of Allah. And it requires a tremendous amount of patience, of sabr. And Allah said about sabr that He rewards those who have sabr with no uh, enumeration. There's no accounting on it. You know, the modern Arabic word for hisab, you know, is, is, is accounting, right? So, like, there's no accounting on this. Patience, Allah rewards patience however He wants, without, like, number crunching on it. And they said patience is three types. It's patience in regards to doing an act of worship. There's patience in regards to staying away from something that's haram. And there's patience in over uh, difficulties and hardships. And all of those are present in fasting. All of those are present in fasting. So patience for doing something good. So patience in not doing the things you're not supposed to do. And there's a patience in difficulty, going through the difficulty in trial. All of that is present in fasting. Present in fasting. That's good. All right, next. Defining fasting, its definition, its rules, its so on and so forth. Uh, seeing if there's anything from my wife Bismillah Fasting is a means By which one attains taqwa It's fair to say that in taqwa is all good In taqwa is all good What is taqwa? Taqwa is an awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That leads to a level of reverence of Him that protects the person from falling into things that they shouldn't fall into. So if you want like a really, you know, is it fear of Allah? Is it awareness of Allah? Is it people translate in all kinds of different ways? Because how do you translate everything I just said? Because really what is taqwa? It's a wiqaya. It's a wiqaya. Same root. It's a shield. So it's an awareness, a love, a reverence of Allah that protects us from falling into things that we shouldn't fall into and motivates us to do the things that we need to do. Fasting is a means to acquire this thing. And the Prophet said that the thing, the two things that enter the most people into paradise is taqwa and good character. 
support and good character. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhaladheena amin kutub alaykum siyamu kama kutub alaykum min qabrikum la'alaykum tabtaqoon. O you who believe fasting is given to you as it was given to those before you so that you can attain taqwa. You can get this taqwa. So this is number one. Why, why, why is this? This is in the issue of what are the wisdoms of this? Number one is fasting gives us taqwa. Number two is fasting is a means by which we can attain ikhlas. The Arabic is so beautiful, subhanAllah. As-sawmu wasilatun li-tahalli bil-ikhlas. It's like fasting is a means by which sincerity becomes part of you. Starts to like uh, course through your veins in a sense. You know, it's like it's filling you, becomes part of who you are. The ikhlas, again, the sincerity. What, what is ikhlas? Ikhlas is if you think of like honey. Sometimes things get stuck in the honey, right? There's impurities in the honey or something. And you can uh, remove this impurity from the honey. That process of removing it, that's ikhlas, and it leaves behind something that is pure. Right? So we have to pull these things from ourselves. To pull them. To pull like love of dunya, love of appreciation, love of being noticed, love of power, love of people recognizing you, appreciating you, love of people giving you position, love of all of these different things that have to be pulled from the heart. Have to be Take them out. Take them out. It's not easy. They say, The last thing that leaves from the heart of the truly righteous and true people, Siddiqin. In the works of spirituality, Siddiq is like the highest level before the before a prophet. The highest level you can get to before a prophet is to be Siddiq in the books of spirituality. So as this quote is saying that the last thing to leave the heart from those people is the love of being in charge. It's hard. It's hard to get rid of it, right? It has to be removed. It has to be pulled out. Number three thing that is in the wisdoms of what fasting does for us, it's a means by which we attain shukr. It's a means by which we get gratitude. We have to reflect. Like Nothing is... If our religion is, is free from reflection, if our religion is free from introspection, if our religion is free from contemplation, our religion is empty. Because it has to go, it has to go again. Same issue, right? You have the physical reality, you have the spiritual reality. How does it go past the physical reality? It goes past the physical reality through reflection. You have something you experience, you have something you're thinking of, you have something that you notice. You have fasting that you go through. If you fast and you just get through it, and you never really sit and like think about the fast and feel the fast, what does this mean for like me and my life and the things that I'm grateful for, the things that other people have or don't have, so on and so forth? I have to sit with that long enough that it kind of like seeps into my heart. It goes from my mind and it drains into my heart. I have to sit with it long enough. This is the description of the Prophet said, right? There's a people, the Khawarij, Khawarij, you know, the, the dogs of hell, the Khawarij. Uh, there are people who, you look at their fasting, you think your fasting is nothing. You look at their Quran, you think your Quran is nothing. You look at their worship, you think your worship is nothing. But they leave the religion as fast as an arrow leaves the bow. Because why? Because they recite the Quran and it doesn't go past their throat. It doesn't get past. 
there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between the mind and the body and the heart. And the hard thing about this is that a lot of times the disconnect that we have between the heart and the mind and the body is also related to trauma and experiences and difficulties and mental health and all of these other types of things. It's not always easy. Like sometimes there's a barrier there because if I open that pathway, there's a lot of things I'm going to feel. But we can't live without feeling. It's very, it's not right. You know, the American poet, whenever I say the American poet, it's usually a rapper. Just so you know. The American poet, he said, I want to be the one who makes you the happiest and hurts you the most. This is the reality of love. The reality of love is the person who makes you the happiest is also the person who potentially, it's not saying he wants to actually be that, but potentially is the person who hurts you the most. Because this is the person you're closest with, you're most vulnerable with. You've put everything in that basket in a sense, right? So in order to love, the, in order to love fully, we have to be very vulnerable. We have to be very, you know. So some of these things, like we, we can't sit with it properly, we can't engage with it properly because there's a barrier there. But we can't live our lives like that. Like that's, that's not, you know, we have to have the courage to, to dig in and to deal with these things in a way that's appropriate and measured and like doesn't break us and so on and so forth. A lot of caveats to that, right? I know this is a little bit of a can of worms. So we'll just leave it. Um, Subhanallah. He said this one, another wisdom. Says that the servant of Allah disobeys Allah and they are not capable of being patient with his punishment. So he gives them the gift of fasting so that the burn of hunger can alleviate their sins in this life so that they don't have to worry about them in the next. It's one of the wisdoms of fasting. It's a beautiful expression. Another thing that fasting does is it prevents the whispering of shaitan. This goes back to what we were talking about before, in the sense that this self-restraint is the is the is, is an important beginning point for being able to deal with a lot of different things. So if we have self-restraint, not only does it help us control ourselves, it also helps us to deal with shaitan. Because my self-restraint makes it now that shaitan doesn't have the same entry point, doesn't have the same ability that he had before. Okay. But if I'm weak. If I don't have self-discipline, if I don't have this restraint, then not only am I subject to the whims of my own desires, but I'm also subject to shaitan. I'm a person without any strength. Right? So they, they, these are interrelated. So the fasting actually helps us in that. One of the wisdoms of it being uh, legislated for an entire month, they say the Prophet said that the one who uh, that the person who fasts the month of Ramadan and then they follow it with six days from Shawwal, the month after Ramadan, is as if they fasted the entire year. One of the wisdoms they say of this is because, why? Because, again, what do we say? The absolute minimum is, the good deed is multiplied by ten. Minimum. 
even though fasting is more. But the minimum is the good deed is multiplied by 10. If you fast 30 days, you fast 6 days, what do you have? You have a year. There's a, the hadith says if you fast Ramadan, you follow the 6 days of Shawwal. It's as if they fasted the whole year. So this is one of the wisdoms as well. But the month is also a time of uh, tremendous training. Ramadan is required. Fasting in Ramadan is required by the book, by the sunnah, by the consensus of the scholars. There's no doubt, there's no conversation on this. The Quran, the sunnah of the Prophet the consensus of the scholars all tell us that we have to uh, fast in this month. If we are Muslim, if we are of age, if we have intellect, if the person is not going through their monthly cycle or postnatal or post-delivery bleeding, if they are resident, and if they are capable of fasting. These are the conditions. Uh, maybe I won't go over these in all of the, the details. If you want to break it down to four, the four are Islam, be a Muslim, be of age, meaning you've reached the age of puberty. It's not exactly super detailed, right? For a woman, it's when she has her first monthly cycle. For a man, it's when, uh, or for a boy, it's when they have their first uh, probably some good way to say this, but a dream that is a provocative nature that has consequences. So it's roughly like 13, 14, 15. Uh, number three is that they have intellect. They're able to, their, their mind is functioning properly. And number four is that they're capable of fasting. They're capable of fasting because in relation to all those other things we said, the woman on her cycle doesn't fast. The woman who has bleeding after delivery doesn't fast. The person who is not resident, and they're in a state of being a traveler, uh, which is not always understood correctly, by the way. They have, if they're in a state of being a traveler, they have a choice whether or not they want to fast. If you wake up and you're at home, you're not a traveler. Right? So people do this all the time. They wake up and they're going to travel at like vulgar time. You're not a traveler from the time you wake up. And this is a different issue. We don't have to get into it right now. But the point is, you have to be considered a traveler, and you have to be capable of fasting, meaning you're, you're healthy enough to fast, essentially. Okay? Uh, main conditions of fasting. There's only two main conditions of fasting. Number one is you have intention, or not conditions, uh, pillars, like foundations, arcan of fasting. Number one is that you have intention. Scholars differed on this. When do you have to have intention from? Do you have to have intention for every single day? Can you make intention for the entire month? We don't have to overcomplicate it. If you're concerned about when does the month start, you probably have intention to fast from Allah. Right? If you go to sleep at night and you're planning to wake up for suhoor, you're wondering what time suhoor is, you're wondering what you're going to eat, so on and so forth, you have intention to fast. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Uh, for the most part, we intend to fast. Average Muslim, Specify it, don't specify it, so on and so forth. Intends to fast for the month of Ramadan. Second thing is obviously that they refrain from anything that would break their fast. Which will have its own details. Okay? But they refrain from anything that would break their fast. Uh, I'm going to summarize this a little bit because I don't want to go into too much detail because uh, we're going to run out of time. So try to summarize this a little bit. First major thing that breaks your fast is anything entering 
inside cavity of the body, like the, the throat, the digestive system, stomach, intestines, so on and so forth, something that enters into this inner tract from an entry point, uh, it's a physical substance. So basically what it breaks down to. So obviously if you put food in your mouth, food has entered your digestive tract. If you put eye drops in your eyes, does the eye drop reach your digestive tract? No. So does it break your fast? No. If you put something, you put drops in your ear, for example, does it break your fast? No? Can. The ear is connected to the, the nasal cavity, which can reach into the inner cavity. If you put something in your nose, does it break your fast? It could. It could. Depends. If it stays like on the outside-ish part, it doesn't go in. Again, it doesn't get into the cavity. If it gets into the cavity, it can potentially break your fast. People always ask this about like, someone messaged me this morning. They're like, Sheikh, I have a really important question. I'm being serious right now. Don't laugh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah, what's the question? He said, can I surf in Ramadan? Like it's very important to me. I go surfing and like sometimes I swallow water, especially if it's a big day and so on. If you swallow water, your fast is broken, you have to make it up. You don't have kafara, it's an accident. But if you swallow water, it breaks your fast. Not even if you swallow water, if the water gets into your, sometimes you don't intentionally swallow it. Maybe it goes through your nose, maybe it goes in people swim, they know. Whatever. Point is, if it gets into the inner cavity from the outside, it breaks your fast. There's some funny details on this, but we're just going to get into it. Yes? It would seem that you should have a certain level of intention when those actions happen for them to actually break the fast now. You unintentionally pull from mouth, nose to mouth. Unintentionally? There's a little bit of detail. Unintentionally. So the Prophet said that lifted from my ummah are things that they do out of accident, out of forgetfulness, and things that they were forced to do. So people will sometimes hear this and they'll think, well, it was an accident, it shouldn't break my fast. It's an accident, you don't have to make kafar. Normally, if you intentionally break your fast in Ramadan by eating or drinking or having intimate relations, you have a serious kafar, right? The expiation is to fast two months straight. That's, that's the punishment for that. If you unintentionally do something that breaks your fast, you don't have to do that. But it does break your fast. So there's no sin. There's no, you're not sinful. You didn't, you're not like going to be punished for it, anything like that. But it, it invalidates the fast because the condition of the fast is that nothing enters like this. Unless, the exception to this is, if it's something that is um, like exceedingly difficult to avoid. So for example, they'll say, if you have like a tiny amount of food that's stuck in your teeth from Sahur, some schools they say it's less than a chickpea. If it's an amount that's less than a chickpea, it's forgiven. Because this is an amount that's so small it's very difficult to it's very difficult to avoid it. But if they have like a chunk of food in their mouth, they can pay attention and they can spit it out. Um, 
mucus and stuff that comes up. Mucus generally, it doesn't break your fast. Unless you like intentionally bring the mucus out. I know it's gross. You bring the mucus out and then you swallow it. Now you like, you swallowed some physical thing that has substance and it wasn't, it wasn't something that you would normally be able to avoid without any sort of extra difficulty. Right? This is the general principle. And um, when you do your nose, when you, uh, when you do with your nose, sometimes the water goes in. Is that quick? Technically, yes. This is why there's, there's hadith in the books of fiqh will say that although the normal sunnah on washing your nose and washing your mouth is that you wash them kind of thoroughly, that's the normal sunnah in wudu. When fasting, the sunnah is to not do that. So when fasting, we wash our nose and we wash our mouth, but we do it kind of lightly. Do it kind of lightly. But, you know, we shouldn't get too overly, like, paranoid about these things. Sometimes people get too paranoid. Like, well, I think I did it. I'm not sure if I did it. If you think you did it and you're not sure, you can assume that you didn't do it. Like, oh, I washed my mouth and then I swallowed and like I felt like there was a little bit of something. I used toothpaste and I, you use your toothpaste, you rinse your mouth, you spit it out. You swallow afterwards, you're going to taste a little bit of toothpaste, but that's not actual toothpaste. It's like residual flavor. It's not actual toothpaste. It doesn't break your fast in that way. Not these kind of things. So sometimes we get a little bit too much. We have to be careful. And some of our people are, they have, uh, uh, I mean, I mean this culturally and like, not, uh, sometimes we have a little bit OCD tendencies. So if we open some of these doors, they, they start to mess with us. It's very important we know the principle. Okay. If I'm not sure about it, it didn't happen. It's okay. Just move on. <laughs> and inshallah, Allah kareem, everything is fine. All right. What are things that break fast? We mentioned one. Number two, obviously, is having relations, uh, intimate relations. Um, it also breaks one's fast if they don't have intimate relations, but they're intimate in a way that leads to some sort of uh, ejaculation. Forgive me. They say there's no hayat in seeking knowledge. There's, you know, some things you just have to say them. Uh, if, a, if a woman's cycle begins, it breaks her fast. If a woman's nifas, which is like post-delivery bleeding begins, fasting is invalidated, obviously. Uh, again, it's not necessarily that the person is sinful. It's not necessarily that they have to make the expiation. It's just a question of, is your fast valid or not? Uh, if a person leaves Islam, breaks their fast. <laughs> if a person loses their mind, breaks their fast. Completely, like their mind completely is gone. Not able to breaks their fast. What are things that don't break your fast? Or what are things that allow, not sorry, don't break your fast. What are things that allow one to break their fast? Or like, you know, So what are things that allow you to break your fast? Number one is that you're not able to. Maybe you're elderly, maybe the person is sick. Um, they have any number of reasons that prohibit them or, or make it so that they cannot fast, they don't fast. There's categories in this you'd be surprised, actually. Like, for example, the person who works in a bakery. Not necessarily like an American bakery, but like Sheikh Riyan, Allah When in the days of his studies, when he was really young and he was poor, he used to work in the bakery in Egypt. 12 hours a day, you know, every day, no days off. You're like literally in front of the fire, you know. 
It could be like 100 degrees outside, you're in front of the fire. Someone asked me this question one time. He works in roofing in Phoenix. Ramadan is in the summertime. So normally what he would do is he would wait, he would keep his days off and he would intentionally take the entire Ramadan off because you can't, like, it's 120 degrees outside, you're on the roof fasting, you can't fast. Like, you're going to die. You're going to get really hurt. So on. These kind of people, actually, they can break their fast. Generally, they shouldn't start the day not fasting. Right? They start the day fasting. The day proceeds, starts to get difficult, you break your fast, no problem. Summertime, winter time comes, you make up your fast. Day's short, weather's cool, whatever. It's fine, no problem. Maybe you get like very bad headaches. You break your fast. Sometimes I think we're, we're a little bit like too much on this. Nobody wants to break their fast for anything. If, if you're going through an, an excessive difficulty, a migraine headache, person is sick, their sickness is not going to get better if they don't do this, this and that. Those are excuses you can break your fast. When you break your fast, when you don't fast, the general rule is you make up that fast. You do not pay fidyan. You do not pay the expiation you know, for a day that you missed in fasting. Uh, I've seen a lot of people do this. Like I didn't pay all, I didn't fast all of Ramadan, so on and so forth, and I just paid, I fed people 30 days. No, you, you can only do that if you do not expect to ever be able to fast. Okay, so you have to have marad muzmin. Marad muzmin. So marad that lasts your whole life. You're not going to heal from it, then you pay and you're done. Otherwise, you have to make up those days. How much do you have to Yeah, and here they say uh, 510 grams of wheat. The equivalent of 510 grams of wheat. Which is, obviously, it's particular because that's it's particular. It's a mud. Like, it's a handful of the Prophet and then what he held in his hand of, of this thing. And, uh, and, and the Hanafi school, and it's a strong opinion, you don't have to pay in the food stuff. You don't have to use, like, wheat and dates and stuff. You can give the monetary value. Most of the misogynists do that now anyways. I remember when we were in college in San Diego, there was fitna around this. San Diego always has fitna on all kinds of things in Islamic law because, quite frankly, too many people are ignorant and they talk too much. This is a big fitna in San Diego. People make big problems. You know, this, uh, you have to bring the actual wheat to the masjid. They're telling us to pray $10. Why are they telling us to pray $10? We're going to bring the wheat. The wheat is what has to be prayed. The wheat is in the text of the Prophet I'm a shit. Where in the text of the Prophet it tells you to bring your, your thing anyways to the masjid? tells you to pay it. If you have such an issue with it, go pay it yourself. Take it to someone. Don't bring it to the masjid. <laughs> People crazy. I mean, Allah forgive us and them and everyone else. But like some of this stuff, there's too much jam. It's actually why this is a big motivator for going to study. It's too many dumb things happen. And you're like, and the more you study, the more frustrating it is actually. Because none, like so much of it didn't need to happen in the first place. So if I open this door, I'm going to get in trouble. I told myself I'm not going to do this in San Diego. You can do this everywhere else. <laughs> you can't do it here. I told myself I'm not going to do it here. All right. Number two, abnormal difficulty. You have an illness, it's not going to be go away. You're in jihad, travel, um, excessive thirst, excessive hunger, so on and so forth. All these things allow a person to break their fast. Number three is that they're a traveler. They're a traveler. It's very important. This is a description, it's a state. Someone is muqeem, 
Someone is musafir. At one point are you muqeem, at what point are you musafir? You have a right to break your fast, or you have a right to not fast, not break your fast. You have a right to not fast if you're musafir. When are you musafir? You are musafir if you leave your home intending to make a journey that reaches to the distance of what's, what's considered a traveler. If you do that, you become a traveler at the moment that you cross your city lines. And the distance is from your city line to your destination. The fuqaha differ on what the distance is. All the madhabs differ. There's a lot of difference of opinion around travel because these are things that we have reported that the Prophet did them, but not necessarily said them. And then there's questions around like, and it's, it's, it was time in the time of the Sahaba. So they traveled like two days. They traveled three days. So what was the, diff- what was the distance of two days? was the distance of three days. Which one do you use? The Hanbali school, for example, holds it at around 80 miles. Shafi'i school, uh, Hanafi school, they hold it around 48 miles, 47 miles, 48 miles. Um, The Maliki school has some difference of opinion. Then you have Ibn Taymiyyah's fatwa that doesn't even use miles in the first place. It's like, if you're going and you're going to stay the night, then you're a traveler. So there's many different opinions. You need to choose one. Number one issue is you need to choose one. You need to follow it. And you say, what is the distance from the city limits to my destination? And this can vary tremendously. Okay? So like now we live in San Diego. San Diego, jurisdiction-wise, is a big city. Right? Geography-wise, it's a really big city. Whereas when I lived in Irvine, I know very clearly, like my house is on this side of Jamboree, if I go to the north side of Jamboree, I'm in Tustin. And if I go south, like five miles, and I cross X Street, I'm in Laguna, whatever, Laguna Niguel, Laguna whatever, Laguna something, Laguna Hills. Uh, but you cross the line. San Diego's not like that at all. Like at which point does San Diego end on the north side? Probably Del Mar. I think Del Mar. Like, I think Del Mar is its own city. Anyways, you get the point, right? So. Pay attention to what the city limit is. Anyways, you travel it. Try to break your fast. Number four, if a person is, if the woman is pregnant, if the woman is pregnant, if the woman is nursing, and she has fear over herself or the baby, it's point they can break their fast, uh, or they can not fast. The last one that they mention is that basically you have to save someone else. You have to save someone else. Maybe like someone's drowning, and you're pretty sure if you jump in that water, you're going to swallow the water and so on. So you jump in the water, you swallow the water, you save the person, you move on with life. Again, sometimes Muslims get really weird about things. It's like, men cannot touch women, women cannot touch men. So you're like walking, and there's a huge stairway, and the sister starts to fall down the stairs. And the brother's like, can't touch the sister. And she's just like tumbling. The ribs are breaking and like, like arms are breaking. And so it's like, what is wrong with you? People are crazy. Grab the person and save them. And like, move on with your life. It's not like, this is a serious situation. You know? uh, it shouldn't even have to be said. But it has to be said because human beings are human beings. It's also a thing you have to know about fit. If you're going to study fit, a lot of things are going to be said in fit. And you're going to be like, why in the world is this being said? 
It's being said because fiqh deals with human beings. And human beings do every crazy thing you can possibly imagine. They'll find every loophole. They'll find every problem. They'll find every way to get around something. So you see stuff, you're like, oh my God, they had to detail that. They had to detail that probably because it happened. <laughs> there was a rule, someone did this, and then they had to figure it out. So it says, you know, to save someone's life, essentially, you can break your, if you have to break your fast in order to save someone's life, you save someone's life. Probably someone died and the person didn't break their fast. Probably it has to be said, you know. Or maybe they just thought about it and they figured it out. If a person breaks their fast and they don't have a reason for it, not breaks their fast, if they intentionally violate their fast, okay, intentionally violate their fast in a way that has no reason for it, there's no, there's no intention behind it, there's no um, excuse for it, so on and so forth, then they fall into that category that we said of kafar. The expiation for breaking a fast like that is number one, to fast 60 days consecutive. If they're not able to fast 60 days consecutive, they feed 60 poor people. Actually, the first thing is they free a slave. We don't have slaves. So, second thing is you fast 60 days consecutive. Third thing is you uh, feed 60 poor people. Notably here is that, although the majority opinion is that these go in order, that you have to do um, fasting. If you can't do fasting, then you can feed people. Then, uh, but the position of the Maliki school is that uh, you have choice. You could either fast 60 days or you could feed someone 60 meals. In any case, may we not fall into this. Uh, what are some of the things that are recommended for the fasting person? Oh, it's 3.30. SubhanAllah. Uh, I'm going to do this quickly. Shall we do this quickly? Because it's relatively known. First thing that's recommended for the fasting person, eat suhoor. Eat suhoor, eat suhoor, eat suhoor. Prophet said, Eat your morning meal, because in the morning meal there's barakah, there's blessing in it. Even if you do very simple, even if it's like you eat a couple of days, you drink some water, there's barakah in that. It's very important. On a very practical side of things, especially when the fasting day is longer, uh, when you're really young, you can get away with this stuff, but as you get older, it's really hard. And you start to feel it at the end of the month if you don't eat your suhoor. Even when the nights are short, the day is long, like even getting the nutrition that we need is hard. You know, you have one meal, you end up going to sleep. You wake up in the morning, you have suhoor. Even that is hard to get what you need. So it starts, to, you start to feel it at the end of the month. So pay attention to that. Number two thing uh, is to delay the suhoor. To delay the suhoor to the time of fajr. Oh man, there's actually a big comment here. Uh, maybe I'll make this comment and then we'll break and then we can come back so the, the Prophet taught us to delay the suhoor as much as you can to the time of fajr right? meaning like you eat up until the time of fajr right? there's an opinion that was circulated in the community it's totally false after long research I don't know what backing this person had in, in the history, I know who they were, but I don't know what their backing was. They say that if you're eating something at the time that Fajr starts, if you have something at your mouth, if you have something, you're drinking your cup, you're eating your food, 
and the call to Fajr happens, you finish what you're eating. You do not finish what you're eating. The, why, the misunderstanding comes up why? This actually opens a huge topic. But the misunderstanding comes up why? Because there's the Prophet said, when you hear the Adhan of Bilal, finish what you're eating. Shall I wait? Because you don't know is, there's two Adhans in Medina. There's the Adhan of Bilal, there's the Adhan of Abdullah bin Maktoum, who was blind, right? The Adhan of Bilal was early. It was known to be early. Before Fajr, actually. And the actual Fajr, Fajr, was Abdullah bin Maktoum's Adhan. It's in all the commentaries on the Hadith. What is the issue that comes up from this? It's very dangerous to derive rulings in Islam by just looking at a Hadith. You have to look at a Hadith, you have to look at the other Hadith, you have to look at the Quran, you have to look at the Arabic language, you have to look at the practice of the early Muslims. What did they actually do? Which is codified in the schools of law. So, you know, don't do that. Second issue that comes up here is actually a little bit more complicated. Which is, we don't witness Fajr, right? Like, we don't stop our eating by going out and seeing the sunrise. There's, there's two sunrises, by the way. Fajr and Kadib, Fajr and Sadiq. Fajr and Kadib is when there's a light, and it goes vertically in the horizon, and then it disappears. The actual Fajr is when there's a light, it appears on the horizon, it grows horizontally. And then it takes up the sky. This is actual Fajr starting. It's not really so relevant right now, but just so you know. Um, the timetables that we have are based on what? It's a very interesting concept, right? Because you know, you know when you look in your app, there's different options. There's Isna, and there's Muslim World League, and there's Umun Qura, and there's Karachi, and there's uh, Egypt Authority, I forget what it's called, the Egypt something Authority. And there's all these different options for the prayer times. And they deal with degrees of light and sun uh, on the horizon and they have different times so like if you choose the isna time fajr is like a good 15 minutes later 20 minutes later than the egypt time or the umar qura time the isha is not as much of an issue because there's actually a difference in isha when does it start when does it uh, when does maghrib end when does isha start but on fajr it's more of an issue because nobody differs on when fajr starts fajr starts at sunrise Right, when, at the break of dawn, I mean, not sunrise, break of dawn. So, uh, this is a challenging issue. Uh, some of the imams in Southern California, Southern, Southern California, Shorter Council of Southern California, usually puts this out every year. Dr. Muslim uh, approved of this after hearing the research. Some of the imams, younger imams, they went to the desert. And they sat independently and they observed the dawn. And they took notes independently, and they took photos and stuff, and they compared their notes, and they tried to see, for our physical location in Southern California, which time is more correct, okay? Which one seems to be more correct, for Fajr in particular. Fajr is really important, so our fasting is depending on it, right? So they, their conclusion was, the Isna time is 15 degrees, it's later. The other ones are 17, 18 degrees, they're earlier. Their conclusion was Fajr for sure was in at 15 degrees. And possibly in around 17, 18 degrees. 
there was some difference amongst them on their observations, and they went several times. So the usual advice that Southern Shore Council of Southern California puts out is that the person should not pray Fajr before 15 degree time, and they should begin their fast around the 17, 18 degree time. Practically speaking, if you want to make it easy for yourself, you use the Isna time, but start your fast about 15 minutes before that. Which a lot of communities and people do, they call it imsak, right? They do this imsak thing, this holding, it's before Fajr. Everyone's like, oh, this imsak, it's a bid'ah. You know, the Prophet said, this is why it's coming up. Prophet said, eat your suhoor until the last minute that you can. This is not a bid'ah in this sense. The issue here is that we're not exactly sure what time it is. Because dawn also is different than sunrise. It's different than sunset. Sunrise and sunset are scientifically very easy to say. Dawn is not that way. And Isha is also not that way. Because it varies based on latitude, it, based on, it varies based on atmospheric conditions. There's a lot of factors actually that will impact when you see that dawn break. Okay? Short answer to all of this is, I don't know what Sheikh Taha has, uh, we haven't discussed this, but um, you know, if you, if, you, if you feel so inclined, you keep your calendar on the 15 degree time, but start your fast a little bit before that, inshallah, it will be fine. But you pray after the later time. I know you want to go to sleep. <laughs> I want to go to sleep too. <laughs> but inshallah, it will be okay. Um, honestly, I flip-flopped on this. But uh, something came up again recently, some other people's research and some things that they wrote, some stuff that they did and so on. Seems to be a good approach. Number three, make dua when you break your fast. Number four, make your dua on dates. Uh, fresh, uh, make, your, make your iftar on dates. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there's like the fresh date and there's a ripe date maybe, and then there's the dry date. You, the, you break your fast on the ripe date if you can. Like the nice, alhamdulillah, we live in California, we get the best dates in the world. <laughs> you get these nice medjool dates. You eat them, alhamdulillah. Even people in Saudi Arabia, they ask them, where are the best dates in the world? They're like, best dates are in California. <laughs> yeah, they're the best dates in the world. So, you know, alhamdulillah, you eat that. If you don't have any dates to break the fast on, the next sunnah is use water. Make your fast on water. Um, and then the last thing is to just kind of like have reverence for the fast itself. Inshallah, we'll take a 10 minute break. It's 3.40 now. We'll resume at 3.50. Inshallah. Alright, okay.